This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. faith can be personal. It can be a very personal thing in the sense that it's very real and it's very awesome and it's very incredible, but it should never be private because we are to be the ones to acknowledge Jesus wherever we go with whom we associate so that he may be declared in our little circles of influence. And we are not to be ashamed of him. What does the saying, practice what you preach, mean to you? Have you ever had someone say that to you when you were trying to get them to do something that you didn't think you needed to do? It's so hard to be around people with double standards, especially when they are treating you unfairly. In today's message, Pastor Gary will explain what hypocrisy is and remind you that as a Christian, you need to be acting the same way that you expect others to act. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 12 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Luke chapter 12 is where we are. The end of chapter 11, Jesus delivers six woes. A woe was a divine pronouncement, a divine indictment against uh, the Pharisees of his day and including the scribes and the teachers of the law who were the most educated in the Word of God and yet they had the least amount of faith in Jesus as Messiah. And so he pronounces these woes over them and that's how chapter 11 ends. Now, this is a, a continuation of events here. Sometimes, you know, the chapters make us think that it's a different event. This is the same event where Jesus is ministering in the public and the Pharisees and religious leaders who don't believe in him are challenging him and testing him and he's pushing back and pronouncing these woes upon him. And now when we get to chapter 12, it says, meanwhile, verse 1, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another. It sounds like a Christmas sale at Walmart, doesn't it? The many thousands of people gathering so that they were trampling on one another. Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. So, a little, he's, you know, there, thousands of people try to imagine this. They're in the region of the Galilee. Thousands of people, they flock to Jesus. They want to hear what Jesus has to say. And yet Jesus first kind of turns privately and is going to address his disciples first. Not just the whole massive crowd, but he's going to address his disciples first. And what we're going to see here in the next few verses, between verses 1 through 12, he's going to talk about three things. He's going to talk about warnings. Jesus is going to talk about our worth. And then he's also going to talk about our witness. And so, again, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. 
So he first addresses here his disciples, and he talks about being on guard concerning the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, which he talks in terms of it's like yeast. It's like this hidden thing, like yeast in, in dough, which causes the dough to rise and causes the dough to multiply, and, you know, uh, and the yeast multiplies and the dough rises, and, and yet you can't see it, but it just becomes this huge thing. I, I know I've shared here about the friendship bread incident. You know, the friendship bread thing was a thing back in the late 90s, I guess. And, you know, a friend would give you a little starter yeast ball, a little dough ball, and you're supposed to take it home and treat it like a Chia pet. You know, you're supposed to water it a little bit. You're supposed to put in a Tupperware. Then there's a day you're supposed to burp the Tupperware. Then there's a day to keep the lid off. Then they put the lid back on, water it a little bit. It's a crazy thing. And anyway, it ends up becoming this monstrosity. And then you start breaking it into pieces and you start baking a bunch of loaves of bread. And before you bake all the bread, you take a little golf ball sized piece of dough and you give it to another friend. It's the friendship bread. You pass it on. Well, we were doing this whole friendship bread thing right in the middle when Terry went into labor with one of our kids. I don't remember which one it was. So off to the hospital we go. I forgot about friendship bread, which turned out to be demon bread because at the end, when I came home, you know, after she had delivered the baby, came home, the thing had exploded all over our kitchen. It was horrible. I was cursing the friend who gave it to us. Not really, but I mean, at least I, I thought it. And so as I thought it, I guess in my heart, I was already guilty of it. But, um, you know, and then I'm here. Who, who wants the next friend ball? You know, I didn't really care at that point anymore. But th- that's why Jesus is using this idea. Yeast is this insidious thing. It just, you know, will infiltrate and then cause the thing and, uh, to expand. And Jesus is often throughout the New Testament, yeast is a picture of some type of sin issue. And in this case, Jesus says the sin issue that yeast represents here is hypocrisy. He says, don't be hypocritical like the Pharisees. Of course, we understand what hypocrisy is. It's when you, you know, you say one thing and you do another. And you judge yourself by a different standard. In fact, the Greek word for hypocrisy is hupokrino. It comes from two words, hupo, meaning under, and krino, meaning to judge. Hypocrisy is when you underjudge yourself and overjudge everybody else. That you don't live up to the same standard that you're holding everybody else up to. And you're living that way then in hypocrisy. Hupocrino, it is to judge yourself under the way you judge and evaluate everybody else. And the Pharisees were guilty of this kind of thing. The Pharisees always saw themselves as more spiritually, you know, mature, but yet they weren't living out their faith in a godly way. And uh, they weren't doing what they said they were, and they were saying something that they weren't doing, and so their lives were full of hypocrisy. Somebody once said that hypocrisy is prejudice with a halo. Abraham Lincoln said that a hypocrite is the man who murdered his parents and then pled for mercy on the grounds that he was an orphan. You know, you, you can't have it both ways. You can't go killing your parents and, oh, I'm, I'm an orphan, you know, have mercy on me. No, it's a hypocrite. So he's warning us against hypocrisy. And then he adds this thing here in verse 2 and 3, which is pretty challenging. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Now, I don't know how many of you grew up with these verses kind of, you know, drilled into you, but these were the kind of verses that made me scared as a young kid and a young Christian because You know, I was told basically that you were going to go through the jumbotron judgment. 
In other words, there's going to be a day when we all stand before the Lord and God's got this big jumbotron. And on the judgment day, he's going to show everybody on the jumbotron everything you've ever done, everything you've ever said, all the dark stuff in your life is going to be exposed and everybody's going to stand there on their way to the pearly gates and they're going to take turns watching the jumbotron judgment. That's just ridiculous, but I grew up with that. Now listen, that is not what Jesus is saying here. How do we know? For you note-takers, jot down Colossians 3, verse 3. Colossians 3, 3 says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Amen? Amen? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. What kind of a sick sense of humor would it be for God to say, okay, listen, I know you're forgiven and you redeemed my son, you know, Jesus, he paid for you by his blood and all that good stuff, but we're going to take just a minute to review everything you've ever done. Hit it, angels. I mean, come on. That's just craziness. But yet we bought into this whole thing like, okay, you know, I know I'm forgiven, but one day everything's going to be... What he's talking about here in a nutshell is this, that God will expose what has been hidden. And he will hide what has been exposed to him. That's the difference. The things that people hide and they don't bring out into the light by confession to Jesus and getting forgiveness and all of that, those things will be exposed. Because then judgment will be warranted. But for those of us who have given our lives to Christ, we have died and our lives are hidden with God in Christ. And the things that are hidden, he exposes. The things that we've exposed to him, he hides with his blood. He covers. There's no jumbotron judgment when you get to heaven. When you get to heaven, our sins have been already forgiven and forgotten as far as the east is from the west. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't review all the things that he died for. So Jesus is speaking here exclusively about those who are hypocrites, those who say one thing and live another way, and their lives will be exposed for what it really is. But if we've exposed our lives to him, if we've asked for forgiveness, then God has already hidden those things in a sense. He's covered those things by the blood of his son. Now, in verse 4, now he's going to talk a little bit about our worth in him, verse 4 through 7. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So he he speaks here, first of all, about the idea of you know, potential persecution. He's talking to his disciples. So, you know, look, you might end up being killed for your faith. There's people around the world. We have the luxury of not really having this fear in our country. We still enjoy the freedom that we enjoy. Uh, hopefully it'll be sustained. Uh, but there are plenty of places around the world where people are being persecuted for their faith. There have been more people martyred in the last century that, for their faith in Christ than in the previous 20 centuries combined. So, There's definite persecution of Christians, and Jesus is saying, listen, you might end up dying for your faith, and certainly in some parts of the world, but don't be more afraid about the killing of your body. Be more afraid about the eternity of your soul, that you should have a righteous fear of God, a reverential fear of God, because he's the one that ultimately determines 
the eternity of your soul. So be more concerned about your soul than about your body because your body will die and you might even be killed for your faith, but it is your soul that is more important because that's eternal. And he says you ought to fear the one who could throw you into hell. It is the word Gehenna here. Gehenna is an Aramaic word that was derived from the Hebrew that described the basically the garbage dump. At the base of uh, Jerusalem, where three valleys converged, it was basically where sewage and garbage was collected and continually on fire. And that word, Ben-Hinnom, the Valley of Hinnom, is where we get the word Gehenna. And so he's using a word that they would have understood as this stench, pile of refuse, this just horrible place, continually burning, but he's speaking about a literal hell, but he's using the term Gehenna so that they would get this visual idea. It's like, you see the garbage dump always on fire? You know how much it stinks and all? That's kind of a small picture of what hell's going to be like. You better be more concerned about the one who has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. But then he talks here about the worth that we have in him. And talks about five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet none of them is, for, not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered, you know, amen? So God doesn't have to count very high for some of you guys. But anyhow, some of you used to have a really nice wave. Now you just have more beach than wave. But anyhow, but so, so, but he's speaking here about how intimately God is acquainted with us, even down to the number of hair on our head. And even down to when a sparrow falls to the ground. And God knows every single sparrow, every single hair. And he says, listen, don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. It's good to know you're worth more than birds. He says in verse 8, he talks now about our witness. In verse 8, he says, I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now here is this, you know, kind of delicate verse here about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And every once in a while I get someone asking me, you know, I think I've committed the unpardonable sin. I think that I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean? Look at the context here. First of all, Jesus is talking about that in our witness, we should never be ashamed to publicly acknowledge him. Living the Christian life is a public profession of faith. You know, a lot of people go around, they talk about, you know, my faith is private. My faith is private. Your faith is never intended to be private. It might be personal. And if that's what you mean by the word private, then okay. Our faith can be personal. It can be a very personal thing in the sense that it's very real and it's very awesome and it's very incredible. But it should never be private. Because we are to be the ones to acknowledge Jesus wherever we go, with whom we associate, so that he may be declared in our little circles of influence. And we are not to be ashamed of him. And Paul would say in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for the salvation for all who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And Satan wants nothing more than for us to just be embarrassed and to be ashamed 
Because if we're embarrassed or ashamed to let people know what we believe, then guess what? We'll keep our mouths shut. And if we keep our mouths shut, then we won't be sharing the good news of Jesus wherever we go. Now, I'm not saying that you have to, you know, just constantly be, you know, barraging people with, you know, cramming the Bible down their throat and just, you know, have I told you a new verse today? And, you know, you don't have to be ridiculous and obnoxious. And if there's one thing that gives a bad name to all Christians, it's a few who are ridiculous and obnoxious, okay? Just calm down. But at the same time, some of us need to step it up because we don't talk about it at all. And we're quick to point to the obnoxious one in the office, like, oh, no, there goes that Christian again, uh, always going around the office talking about their faith. And it's like, but wait a minute, are you doing anything? Before you start talking about the obnoxious Christian, maybe look at your own life and say, am I saying enough? Or am I quiet because I'm, I'm a little embarrassed? Can you imagine if Jesus took that on for us? You know, I don't think I want to go to the cross. I'm a little embarrassed for these people. He's got a look at the person next to you. Jesus has a lot to be embarrassed about. You know what I'm talking about? All of us are an embarrassment to the Lord. When you think about it, we've done some pretty stupid stuff, all of us. We've embarrassed God a time or two. I know he's up in heaven looking at me going, oh, vain, not again. And this guy calls him a pastor? You know, what am I to do with this guy? So in the same sense, you know, God is rich in love and abounding in grace towards us. And he was not embarrassed to go on a cross and to die for our sins and to accept the punishment intended for us so that we might be cleansed from our sin. Why in the world are we so embarrassed? Why are we so ashamed? Now, He adds this part about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because he says, everyone in verse 10, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. So there will be times that you will be embarrassed, and you have been, and and I have been, and we don't stand up for Christ like we should, and we've not represented him well. Jesus says, okay, you can be forgiven of that. You've spoken a word against the Son of Man, you can be forgiven of that. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So write down on the margin of your Bible this verse. It's John 15, 26. John 15, 26. Because the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And in John 15, 26, Jesus said, The Holy Spirit will testify of me. The Holy Spirit will testify of me. The real blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and the ultimate blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to reject the testimony that Jesus is Lord. You see, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. You and I didn't come to faith in Jesus. If you know Christ as your Savior, you didn't come to faith in Jesus simply by an intellectual approach alone. You engage the intellect, no question about it. And I, you know, resent people who suggest that Christianity is just, you know, blind faith and, you know, only dumb people believe in. You exercise your intellect. Clearly you do. But you and I come to faith because we respond to the prompting and the wooing, if you will, of the Holy Spirit that he works on us in different ways to bring us to that place of surrender so that then when we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, we're doing it by the help and prompting of God's Spirit. That's why Jesus said in John 15, 26, that the Holy Spirit will testify of me. So the ultimate blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when we reject the testimony of Jesus that comes by way of the Spirit. The only unpardonable sin is not accepting, believing, and receiving that Jesus is Lord. That's the ultimate blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Because what you're saying, in a sense, is I reject and I refuse the prompting of the Spirit of God 
for me to believe in the testimony of Jesus. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So if you've ever had, you know, kind of a, a bad thought about, you know, the Lord or the Holy Spirit, if you made fun of the Holy Spirit, you know, and, and I've heard this kind of thing too, which is not a good thing. People who, you know, don't necessarily understand the fullness of the Spirit, they start mocking people who you know, like speak in tongues or they, or they have gifts of the Spirit. You know, maybe you've done that kind of a thing. Okay, that's not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That may not be appropriate, but that's not blasphemy of the Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to reject Jesus as Lord, because you have refused and rejected the testimony of Jesus that comes by way of the Holy Spirit. So, in that way, you won't be forgiven, because that's what you need to be saved. But then Jesus adds here in verse 11, When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So just, you know, some of the bullet points I put under the word witness there is to acknowledge Jesus before others. That's what he wants us to do, not to be afraid, not to be ashamed, to acknowledge him, that our faith should be public. It might be personal, but should never be private. And then at the same time, we should trust the Holy Spirit for the words. In the context here, he is talking about when his disciples would be hauled before, you know, synagogues and rulers and authorities because, they, you know, they're going to be persecuted. But in general, I think this is a good verse to simply remind us that when we are in situations where we are wanting to be a witness for the Lord and we're wanting to share our faith, that God will, in wonderful ways, begin to remind us of verses and help us to say things that we don't really know how to say to communicate the truth about who Jesus is. And many of you can probably testify to that, that you've been in this situation where you know that this is a moment where you can share your faith or share your testimony or just, you know, put a word in about who the Lord is and you have maybe a brief encounter with somebody, you know, you ride in the metro or whatever the case may be. And it's amazing how the Lord will just start to give you the right words and a few verses that come to mind, and you will begin to realize after the conversation is over, man, I think God helped me on that one. He just kind of spoke through me, and he helped me because I had no clue what I was supposed to say, and the words just kind of flowed out. Praise God for that. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, and we can rely on him to help us to share Christ. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. God will give you the words as you make yourself available to be used. Now, from verse 13 down through verse 47, we got three more W words for you, just trying to keep it simple. I'm a simple man with a simple mind. And so uh, he's going to talk about wealth, worry, and watchfulness. So verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, just let that sink in for just a second there, because, I mean, Jesus is, is, is teaching here. And, you know, there's thousands of people, and he's, and he's teaching his disciples, but now he's going to turn and address the rest of the crowd, because one guy in the crowd wants Jesus to settle a dispute over the family will. I mean, doesn't this seem out of context? Jesus is like, okay, now listen, you might be persecuted, you might die, don't worry about it, just be more concerned about who could throw your soul into hell, that's the more important thing, the eternity thing, and the Holy Spirit is going to help you, and when you're persecuted, don't you worry, because the Holy Spirit's going to help you, he's going to give you the words. Excuse me, teacher, I have a question. Uh, could, you, could you settle this dispute with me and my brother? Because we got a problem on our will. The Gospel of Luke takes a unique look at the life of Christ from his birth to his ministry, his death and resurrection. 
Luke described Jesus as the Son of Man, one of his favorite ways to refer to himself. Jesus was God in human form, showing all of us what it means to live a completely sinless life. There was no fault to be found in him, yet Jesus was still nailed to a cross. But his death had purpose too. He stood in for you, taking the punishment your sin deserves. And then he rose from the grave, conquering death and the evil one. What an amazing Savior this Son of Man truly is. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus, or would you like someone to pray with you? If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. Find out service times and more information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and be able to download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know